The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, you guys. My name is Dave Parton, the pastor here, and I'm glad you've uh, come today to remember Jesus with the rest of us. Uh, my hope is, as Michelle said, that it is the scriptures, it is the truth we just sang and the prayers that we pray that point us to Jesus is, is why, why we are all here today. Um, I want to just begin today as we're, we're in a series, right in the middle of a series on an Exodus, an Exodus 20. And I just want to begin by focusing on a couple key truths that kind of is a theme, because we are in the Ten Commandments. We're studying kind of a couple commandments at a time. And uh, this theme is, has been brought up over and over again as we've studied this, this idea of pursuing God. God's, God is a pursuing God, and we are to be pursuing Him in this relationship um, on this planet as we continue into eternity and, and um, recognizing that Jesus Christ has done something great and mighty for us as inviting us into his kingdom. And these two key truths, one is that God is holy. And we say this a lot, we sing this a lot. Um, but my hope is, is that um, you, you, you realize that we rest on that daily, uh, moment by moment, that God is different. God is separate. We do not interact with God the way we interact with people or other things or even nature. But God is one great mighty entity that is different. And holy means that he's set apart and different. Secondly, uh, a focus is that God is creating for himself a holy nation. So this idea of holiness continues through these two aspects that we're going to be talking about today, that there's a, a God who's set apart that's different, but because God is set apart and he wants to bring people into a relationship with him, thus now people are set apart. So as we begin today, um, we, just, we want to see the context that we have a, a holy king and he's creating a holy kingdom with holy people. And God has been active in the lives of this nation we were talking about in Exodus. It's the nation of Israel. It's the Hebrews. So I want to just focus, uh, before we get into 20, uh, just kind of catch you up here. If you're coming in mid-series, uh, mid using Exodus 19, 4 through 6, to kind of catch us up to speed uh, before we get into uh, the topics today. Exodus 19, 4 says this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is God speaking. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So it, just right here in Chapter 19, we see a little summary. God has been doing the work. God is the one who came and rescued through, of course, his messenger Moses. The people out of slavery brought them through the wilderness. Now at the base of a mountain, Moses is now talking to God. And what are we hearing? Well, these three things. The people are a treasured possession. God values humanity. That's good for us. That this perfect, great, mighty, powerful entity cares about us. 
and our finite, our, our limitedness. And he calls his people a kingdom of priests, this example to other nations, this, this intercession for the world, this, this people group that's going to write the Bible. And then he thirdly calls them a holy nation. They're going to be set apart for a sacred purpose of God on this planet. And what's their goal? Their, their goal is to represent God to the world. And we have many ways that we represent ourselves uh, to others. Sometimes it's our country, our nation. If you go to the Olympics, you're going to see a lot of red, white, and blue with stars. If you're from America, uh, families, sometimes families have connections and like, oh, clearly you're from this family. I can tell by the big trucks that you drive or whatever, you know, whatever the example is for your family. Maybe it's uh, an NC. Double A college basketball team that sometimes wins and sometimes doesn't win. <laughs> Maybe. Right? And sometimes it's local schools. Uh, we have a number of, of ladies, uh, teenage girls who play for the West Soccer Girls Program. They're going to do great this year, right, guys? They're going to do great this year. We have a ton of them. We have a ton of them. Joel, make sure you don't plan anything on soccer nights or half our students will be gone playing soccer. This team is amazing. And sometimes the team will have unique expectations on game days. And sometimes the team captains of the girls, they may say, hey, everybody dress up with nice shirts or nice skirts, wear a dress. Uh, it's going to promote, right, a sense of unity on the team. But also, uh, when you, you dress differently on this day, what's it going to say? It's going to say something to the school. It's going to say, hey, we're connected. We're a team. We're, we're going to recognize there's a, there's a game today. Something special is about today for the ladies' soccer team. And the team's attire, it's going to, because they've chosen to dress maybe nicely this day, that there's a respect for the team, for the school, for the coaches, for the program. So we all understand that when we dress or act or speak distinctively, it's the combined actions of everybody that kind of communicates something. So today, as we continue to study the Ten Commandments, we need to put in mind that we have a God that's different. We have a God who says, I'm going to make you a different kind of people, and you're going to act distinctively, and here's the ways I want you to act. So, if you were here last week, you got to use your fingers to remember the Ten Commandments. And if you weren't here, you get to see how smart all the rest of us are, okay? So, help me out. And if you're new, just jump right in. We're using our fingers. It's not too bad. So the Ten Commandments are the first one. There is one God and there's no other gods. What are there? No other gods. Don't put any other gods before me. And two, don't make any idols. What is number two? Don't make... See, they kind of look the same. New people are like, what are you doing? Okay. Three, right? Three, the Trinity, the names of God. We don't say the name of God in vain, right? Let's say it together. We don't say the name of God in vain. Four, we make a little pillow with our four fingers. We remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Five, we honor our mother and father. That's right, right. And then six, we don't murder, Okay, don't murder. Okay, that's six. We don't murder. Seven, 
We don't commit adultery. You just cross your fingers and you know what I'm talking about, right? You don't commit adultery. Only sleep with your spouse, okay? Then eight, eight, it's the complicated one, right? Eight, don't steal. You go from seven to eight, okay? A little complicated. You can practice that at home, not while you're driving, okay? Eight, don't steal. Nine, we have four and five. This one talks. I look like you. Don't lie. Don't lie, okay? Don't lie. And 10, don't covet. Don't want other people's stuff. Be content. Okay, those are the 10 commandments. A little reminder there for those that were here last week, and if you're brand new, ask somebody to review those with you, uh, because our hope is that we would recognize that these things that we're studying this next few weeks, they are They are aspects of way to live our lives that make us distinctive, that make us different, but also God has deemed that these honor him. These these reflect God's character. So before we begin reading, let's set the stage as I shared. Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from God. The Israelites have followed. They've, they've uh, consecrated themselves. They've cleaned themselves up. They've come to the base of the mountain, not come up the mountain, because God says, don't come up the mountain, but be ready for this message. There's thunder. There's smoke. There's fire in the air, because God has showed up with humanity. And there's this messenger of God, Moses there, who's ascended to hear the words of God. Let's pray before we read God's word in Exodus 21. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. We thank you that today we can stand knowing that we are doing the right thing because you have told us, and that's enough. We listen to you. We think, we value, we live rightly because you have told us. May we follow your words. May we believe you. May we know that you love us. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins where we fail so often. And the Holy Spirit, guide us. Guide us this morning as we study the word of God. In your name, amen. Exodus 20, verse one. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You have, shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Down to verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. These first four commandments are very Uh, vertical in nature. Humans' relationship with God. How do we live with God? And it's concerned with this idea that there there is one God. It's it's a monotheistic movement because it's the truth. And it's going to demonstrate, these, these four commandments demonstrate this loyalty, this reverence, this worship of the one true God. 
in the first two as a reminder, God's expecting this exclusive devotion only to God, to God alone. And then he commands them not to, not to obey other gods. You're supposed to reject all other gods. So we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at commandment three, which says, don't use the Lord's name in vain. And four, remember the Sabbath. That's what we're going to look at today. And I promise not to do that every time I say those words. My hope today is that these two seemingly different topics are actually connected, okay, as they are with the four. As children of God, we're called to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation set apart, that as we seek to live out these commands that God tells us, the, the, the best we know how, that we are going to rightly represent God to the world. A world who doesn't know God, who doesn't care about God, who's not aware of God. And may we trust that what God commands is best for us. I want to say that again. May we trust, as we read the scriptures, and especially these Ten Commandments, may we trust that what God commands us to do is for our best. Commandment number three. I'm going to read it again. 20 verse 7 of Exodus. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about our taming the tongue. We're talking about words that we're, we're using. Some of you in the room might be a person who uses lots of words. You know, that's, that's, that's part of your makeup. And some of you in the room are more quiet, right? And this maybe isn't a, a thing you struggle with as much. But I want to let you know, for all of us, my hope is that as we study this section for a few minutes, that it's important. It's not frivolous. It's, it's the third commandment that God chooses to tell us. My youth leaders would tell me as a teen, uh, when I... When any of us, or when I was to say the names of God, I better be talking to them or talking about them, right? Saying Jesus, talking to God, talking about the Holy Spirit. And if I say Jesus Christ, it better be talking to Jesus Christ or about Jesus Christ. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like, that's how I was taught. The Trinity, when I was talking about these words, this, the, the, the word Lord, the word God, the word Jesus Christ, when that would come out of my mouth, and, and we had a good youth team, oh, what, what was that? Was, were you praying? I thought you might be praying. Like, there was some levity to it, but it was also helpful to remind us that it's a big deal. I believe they were right, and I think this commandment does teach about how our words are important and how our words and our tongue is one of the ways that we most communicate what we care about. And when we disrespect the name of God, we probably don't respect God very much. And that's what God's telling us here in the third commandment. Before I continue, I'm going to spend a little moment, we're going to talk about the name of God a little bit and the names of God, because I think how the Israelites and the Jews relate to the names of God will help us today recognize how far from, how far from recognizing the importance of the reverence of the name of God. I'm going to go right to Exodus 3.13. This is where Moses says, God, what's your name? Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel 
and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So I am. That's how God <laughs> names himself to Moses. Because Moses don't want to say, hey, the fathers and the God of the old things and the guy who did the thing and the old. Did. He won't say that. Like, what's the name? What's the name? I am. That's the name we get. So little information about the I am. Here's a, here's a slide about the I am. I am, existence, always existence, this idea of uncreated. That's what God wants to propose. In the name of God, written in the Torah, they didn't actually write the vowels because they wanted to be so reverent with the name of God. We get these letters, Y-H-W-H. So when you want to talk about the name of God, instead of saying Y-H-W-H says blah, 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 we in English, have added some vowels. In Hebrew, they've added some vowels. And um, when you want to say the name Y-H-W-H, we've decided to say Yahweh. Say Yahweh. Yahweh, right? Sounds very Jewish, right? It's like, like that's, the, that's the Jewish name of God. Like Jesus is the name of the Lord and Savior who died on the cross. His name's Jesus. The word Christ isn't actually his last name. Christ means Messiah, the chosen one, the one that's going to come. It's just a description. So Yahweh is the name of God, and it literally is to be. Like, that, like it's from this, these, these words about being, existing, always existing. But I don't want to stop there because there's more to learn about this, and we're not going to dive too deep. But I just want to let you guys know that um, Yahweh is very similar to J-H-V-H, which is what? Jehovah. They're not two different gods. They're not two different names of God. It's actually human beings taking Y-H-W-H and saying it different ways. Like in German, the J and the Y, you know, they're mixed up. In Hungarian, the, the W is a V sound. So you can see where you have J-H-V-H. It's just depending how you want to say it. And you throw a couple of other vowels in there. You put another you know, another, um, what's that called, uh, syllable in there? Then you get Jehovah, right? Yahweh, Jehovah. It's the same name. It's just depending when they decided to write the words. And you might see these letters in places if you're studying the Bible. Like what's, Y-H, what is that? That's the name of God without including the vowels because it's just still a guess. Jehovah is still a guess. Like you think Jehovah Jireh. You have these other Jehovah names. That is that word Jehovah is I am. And I'm going to go a third step, as you can see in the slide. In your Bibles, believe it or not, you may have never even recognized this. In your Bibles, there are places where the word Lord is lowercase l-o-r-d. And there's places in your Bibles where the word Lord is capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And there's lots of places in the Bible where it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Did you, did you guys know? Like that, that's, that's all over the place in the Bible, those three things. You should understand the word Lord is just a generic term like, think uh, somebody's boss, like the Lord, the Lord of this land. Like they don't get a capital L, right? But then there's like the Lord God or the Lord Jesus or the Lord 
he gets a capital because that's how in English we separate God. If you ever want to make a pronoun God, you just put a capital and then boom, it's God, right? That's how we type those things out. But if it's ever all caps, it's all over the Psalms, all over the Psalms. If it's ever all caps, it is the I am. That's the name of God. Anytime you read that. So, but instead of putting YHWH or JHVH in there, I'm very happy that the writers chose to put capital L, capital O, capital R, D. That way we know in the original writing, this is what it is. The name of God. You're saying the name of God. Now I know it's the same name as saying the Lord owns this land or the Lord Jesus. But for us, when you read the Bible, recognize the psalmists or when we sing hymns and they're all caps, we're saying Instead of like Jesus being the Son of God, the Father's name is Lord, all caps. And the Jews, what they would say is Adonai. That's what they would say. So if you read that somewhere or you hear that sound, all of those words I'm saying, Lord, Adonai, Jehovah, Yahweh, all those letters, it's I am. Make sense? So, why is all that complicated? Because people wanted to respect the name of God. Because the name of God, they wanted to be careful. They wanted to be careful writing the name of God. I mean, seriously, we don't know how you say it because they didn't give us any vowels because they didn't want to write it wrong. Now, in our world, in English language, that we recognize the name of God and in writing and speaking and saying. I just described a bunch of stuff Jews chose not to write because, because I think it's okay for us to say the names of God, to pray the names of God. But I think we should say them respectfully and we should honor them. I'm not giving you new cuss words to say, please, right? right? Please honor them, say them correctly. Just like my youth leaders would say, you better be talking to him or about him, if you're saying the names of God. Do not take the name of God in vain. So why did we just learn all of this other than it's interesting? I think there's a respect for God that we've lost and respect for God's name that we have lost in knowing that this is our heritage, our religious heritage. We are 100% connected to the Jews. We are grafted into their family as Christians. What their history is, is our history. And we should understand that the third commandment is important today for us. And when we disrespect the name of God, we are no longer living out our calling as a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a treasured possession. We have been adopted into this family. May we respect the Lord God. So if you want to obey God and live out your identity as his child and you find yourself constantly using the name of God in vain, you say Jesus or you say Jesus Christ or you say Lord, you're wrong and you should stop. If you have people who love you in your life, they should say, stop. I love you. Stop. You're a Christian. You should not be asking this way or talking this way. And I, 
I want to go another step further because that would be a Christian talking to a Christian, helping us better be respectful. We should do that for one another. That's a good thing. It's not mean. It's actually kind. Let me remind you what the Bible says about something. You're living wrongly. Like that's, there's a kind and gentle and honest way we should live lives with our friends, our family, because that's what family does. We help each other. Now, what about people who could care less about our religion, right? Care less about our God. Don't even believe in him or that the Bible is true, okay? So, real story. Last year, I had a friend who uh, I was working with. Uh, we volunteered together, and he said Jesus Christ so many times, and he is not a believer. He would say it out of disappointment. Um, uh, I served with him in the city, and, and uh, there often there were kids around, and uh, I felt uncomfortable. There's a point where you start, I mean, maybe you're with me in this. You feel uncomfortable after a while because you know they're not a believer. They're not thinking twice about it, right? Um, but I felt like there was a point where I wasn't doing a good service for, to our friendship, our relationship. So, um, uh, I just, and hear me out this too, because anytime I, I teach, and it's kind of from a personal story versus the scriptures, um, this is just a description of my life, but sometimes it helps to know, hey, how do, how do other people interact in, in scenarios like this? Um, I just want to set, set the stage. One, we were serving together regularly. It wasn't a one-time thing. Um, uh, I mentioned there were kids around. Uh, this guy had become a friend, and I wanted to let him know, as a friend, I was feeling uncomfortable. So I decided to say, hey, bro, you're saying Jesus Christ a lot. And, and I stopped. I mean, he stopped me. He, he just, I didn't get to finish my sentence. Oh, man, he knows I'm a pastor, too. I mean, that, that affects me a little differently than maybe some of your occupations. But like once people find I'm a pastor, they're like, they become different people. Um, like there's no secret that he knew I was a pastor. But he's like, yeah, and, and, and you're even a pastor, which that doesn't make me any different than you. It just makes other people feel uncomfortable. Anyway, so he's like, yeah, he's like, um, uh, yeah I'm, I'm going I'm to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing that. All I had to say was, hey, I'm recognizing that you're saying Jesus Christ a lot and he already knew. Like, it wasn't like some sort of, like, philosophical discussion on what words mean in semantics. You know, it wasn't that at all. It was very cordial. And I would say he became self-aware. And 90% of the time, he'd say, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because he's, he's a normal person who actually does care about other people, even though he's not a Christian yet. Why do I tell you this story? Well, I start with letting you know that um, I do not try to be the naughty word police in any of my situations um, ever. Uh, uh, one story I tell sometimes is uh, <laughs> I was playing golf uh, with some guys. My dad was there, and, and uh, um, uh, there, were, there were discussions on who, you know, it's like, a, you know, we're meeting new guys in the first tee box. And what do you do? What do you do? And one of the golfers, pretty funny joke people like to say to me is like, oh, I'll watch what I say about that. And I always like to say, well, now that you know I'm a pastor, I have to watch what I have to say now. You know, that's actually the bigger problem, right? So it's like, like that's, that's what we have to learn about one another is like our words do say something about ourselves. And we feel like based on who's around us, we need to apologize or be careful. 
But this is what I want to say. It's not about my position or my, my occupation being some sort of gauge or representation of God for other people, even though they could have that background. What, what I'm trying to say is policing other people's words is normally not healthy to have real authentic conversations. It normally just shuts down conversations. So I try to am slow to actually share that things are making me uncomfortable. Because what I would like to do is actually get into a conversations of things that matter. How is, how is your family, right? What are your relationships like? Are you happy in life? Not, oh goodness, there's a priest here now. that I, I'm not a priest, but you know, people think that. They're like, I can't say all the naughty words and jokes that I normally tell on the golf course. It's like, no, that's not what that... That's not what I want to be. I want to be a friend to you and care about you and let you know there's more to life than, than uh, trying to make people impressed by your, <laughs> your uh, word choices. I want to have the most important conversations with people. But I do think this. Number two, you should tell people when you feel uncomfortable. You should tell people. If it's crude humor, if it's hate speech, if it's defaming somebody, or wrongly use your God's name as a cuss word. Like, it's okay to do that. I would say that most people will respond the same way my friend did. And sometimes, I'm saying this, not everybody responds that way. When they don't respond respectfully, you as a follower of Jesus can for maybe a moment go, I'm glad I was bold. I'm not bold that often in my faith. And that kind of felt like, I, I'm like Paul now, right? It's like, it's like, they're not stoning me, but I feel like I said something about Jesus in, a, in an unreligious scenario. So maybe you'll be encouraged that you were able to say, that was uncomfortable for me. And then what will they know about you? What will they know? The way you say it's important, what will they know about you? That your faith is important. That your God is real and you care about him. In the same way that I wouldn't use another guy's mom's name as a cuss word, they should not use my God's name as a cuss word. So I want to close this section it goes beyond just saying God's name rudely or without weight or flippantly. Is that I think it also tells us that we shouldn't swear to God. Don't try to use God as a bolster of how trustworthy your sentence is. Jesus actually says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Why? Because let your character be what you have as trust. Be a trustworthy person. Don't be a liar and then try to say, oh, I swear to God, man, I'm being legit right now. Like, that's wrong. That's like using God for your own good. That breaks the third commandment. And lastly, I'm just going to do a nice little swath of religious words right here. Don't curse others. The word cuss right? This profanity, this idea of using religious words about GD or GD or go to H or all these things that we hear and we say and we do and we hear, you know, we're a part of in our, in our faith, I mean, in our culture where faith words come into like vulgar expressions. They're all wrong. 
keep religion out of these things. I think it's, it's, it's vain. It's worthless. You're not actually... You're not actually doing these. You don't have any power to send anybody to hell, right? There's like, there's, there's, you're using religious biblical talk in a very self-motivating way. And I think the third commandment reminds us, don't do that in vain. Don't talk about God. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about Satan. Don't talk about religious things in a way that you're not actually talking to or about them. Can we do that as a church? Three knots. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. I know you're all, you're like, yeah, we'll do the third commandment. So um, I don't have a soapbox on this. I think my friendships in the room, we're pretty good about this. Like we, I think if there's a bunch of profanity or wrong talk, we actually do tell each other these things. But I know all of us go out into the world, right? We, we work in places that people don't follow the third commandment. And it's very cultural now to use these sort of phrases. I would say use them when needed to help people know you're uncomfortable, talk about your faith, but don't use them as a, as a word police where you actually don't have any more relationships with people. So review. Third point is the third commandment today. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. All right, Exodus 28. This one will not be as long as that one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the fourth commandment, what does it emphasize? It emphasizes the importance of dedicating one day a week for rest and worship. The Sabbath, this seventh day, serves as a reminder of God's creation and provision. God is the deliverer and sustainer and is the, it's the theme of him pursuing and helping the first two books of the Bible up to this point. So he just keeps showing us this. We were driving by the Seventh-day Adventist church up here uh, this uh, yesterday, actually. One of the kids was like, how are they different than a neighborhood church? And one of the key things is their parking lot's full on Saturdays, right? Their, their Sabbath day is, a, is the Sabbath. It's the Saturday um, of the week. And it's, we do believe it's the day that has rhythmically been the day that God rested. But when Jesus rose from the dead, the church started meeting on Sunday, and Sunday became the new Sabbath day. So I'm not nitpicking that at all today. Uh, the kids said, are they wrong or are we wrong for worshiping on Saturday or Sunday? And I'm like, no. There's plenty of churches that have Saturday services, Sunday night services. Like, all, like no, we're not judging that. Out of seven days, one of them should be a Sabbath. Believe it or not, I work on Sundays, right? So I try to take another day off, and it's okay. I don't think I'm breaking any rules that I, I help organize. And honestly, 40, 50% of you guys work today too, volunteering, serving in the church, doing all kinds of things for the glory of the Lord. I think it's good. This, it's right. It's right that we spend our time with the Lord and do things um, for our faith my hope right now is as we look at this for just, just a couple minutes on what in the world this rhythm is about that we can recognize it's because of who God is.
we, we studied in Exodus 16 that um, God was providing food, manna, birds for the Israelites on their trek because how are you going to feed all these people in the desert? And he actually tells them before the Ten Commandments, he says, hey, on the sixth day, get twice as much food because I don't want you to collect food on the seventh day. He already had them practicing what he wanted before he actually told them specifically about it. Genesis 2.2. This is the beginning that God refers back to. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work and that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. So God initiated a pattern of on the seventh day, rest. So now he hopes his people reflect him. Thus, a holy nation. Thus, a people of mine. Thus, a treasured possession of people that look like me, act like me, display me to the world. Throughout the first two books of the Bible, we see God demonstrating his care and love over and over and over again for his chosen people, reminding him that I am the one to be worshiped. And what does he choose to do? One-seventh of the week, they are supposed to rest and be dependent. We're to be reminded that everything we have comes from God. We're his beloved children. So the Sabbath, this day we choose not to work on purpose, it helps us be reminded that we rest on and remember God's faithfulness. We rest on God's faithfulness and we are reminded that he has been faithful to us. And the Sabbath, this choice for Christians, followers of God, to say, I'm not going to work one day a week. It tells the world that God cares for us. So while the world continues to work, the church continues to rest on God. We might even one day of the week, work harder so that we will take the day off. What another way to display to people in your life that you care about God? Dude, why are you staying longer today? I want to get done. Why? Are you leaving town or something? No, I want to have a Sabbath day. I think it's good for me to not work a day and not fill up every day with work all the time. God commands it. It goes after his character. I believe it's a day to spend time with your family, your church family, with God. And I'm going to close with a passage from Luke 13 and look at Jesus and this suffering woman on a Sabbath. Luke 13, 10 says this. Now he was teaching, this is Jesus, in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. 
But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, parentheses, he just read the fourth commandment, back parentheses, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord Jesus answered him, you hypocrites, and said other stuff that we're not going to focus on in the moment. But I don't want you to focus on the ruler of the synagogue here, though it's the focus of the story. But what I want us to focus on right now is the woman. Become the woman for a moment with me. Bent over for 18 years. The Sabbath is you and me coming to Jesus and being healed. That's the Sabbath, church. Jesus does the work in us. We should rest in his power and healing and mercy and compassion, his love, and as we see here, his forgiveness. And this is the Christian message in the Ten Commandments, that we have an amazing God. He should be respected. He should be worshiped. And may the church, may neighborhood church, may we as a people enjoy all these loving attributes of God and point others to him. In review, the third commandment today, thou shalt not take the Lord's, Lord your God's name in vain. And number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Let me pray. Jesus, today we choose to rest. We choose to rely on you. We choose to lean on the work that you have already done. God, I pray that as we come to the table and remember the work that you have done, we confess sin where we have not used your name wisely. and We have not remembered the Sabbath regularly. Father, I pray that we are a church who knows that your commands are for our best. Forgive us where we fail you. May we walk in step with your will. It's in your name. Amen.